April Narell was is a nurse was taking care of a patient one night on the floor, and uh, the patient's call light kept going on and off. Uh, seemed like uh, this pa- uh, this lady patient was uh, having a chronic panic attacks along with some other medical issues. And so every time the light would go on, uh, she would go in, take care of the patient, do what she was supposed to do as a nurse, but uh, things continued to persist in terms of her having these panic attacks. Uh, finally, later in the evening, early morning, April's in the room with the patient, having another panic attack, and she does all the things that she's supposed to do. But then she begins to do some things that she had been trained to do the previous summer in terms of taking a spiritual history, assessing if there's a spiritual need going on, asking some questions. What keeps you going? What's your source of strength? How has this been scary for you? Where has God been in the midst of all of this? And as she talked more with the patient, she found out that the patient was actually open to talking more about a relationship with God and actually more open to connecting with God. And so April, after doing this spiritual assessment, asked the lady, she said, Ma'am, would it be helpful if I pray for you for just a minute? And the lady said, Oh, gosh, would you please? And just as the patient said that, April sensed that somebody walked in the room. She didn't know who it was. She didn't want to break eye contact with the patient. And so she, I, I suppose in her mind, she thought through, am, is what I'm doing appropriate? Yes. Have I done all the medical things that I'm supposed to do and responsible for? Yes. And uh, then also, uh, is, uh, do I have the patient's consent? Yes. Is what I'm doing ethical? Yes. And so... Forgetting whoever it was that walked into the room, April begins to pray with the lady. The lady is incredibly appreciative of what April has done. And then she finishes a prayer, and to make a long story short, the patient promptly falls asleep. April, a brand-new nurse, turns around, and standing there is a charge nurse. So this little fear, oh, no, am I going to get fired, goes through, sort of nods at the charge nurse, goes on about her duties throughout the night. The next day, she's working again, same unit. Somebody taps her on the shoulder. She turns around. There's that charge nurse. And the charge nurse looks at her and says, come here. Oh, no. Here it comes. You know, will I ever work again? And so she takes her off into a room. Charge nurse shuts the door, turns, and looks at April and says, I saw what you did with that patient last night. And April's like, yeah, okay. And uh, uh, the lady, the charge nurse, begins to say, how is it that you knew that's what that patient needed? And April's a little surprised by this. She said, how is it that you knew what to do in that situation? And then she said, do you realize what happened? And April, what are you talking about? She said, did you see the patient's levels before you did that God prayer thing? And she said, well, what? She said, everything was elevated. She said, as soon as you started doing that spiritual stuff, everything dropped back down to normal levels. How is it that you knew what to do? April was able to explain to her, well, I went to a four-week preceptorship. We learned about whole person care, integrative. And the nurse, the charge nurse was like, this is amazing. Would you be willing to train everybody on our floor how to do whatever it was that you did? (laughs) Brand new nurse. In fact, I'm not sure if she was even a nurse. She may have been a student. And so here's this charge nurse asking her, either a student or a brand new nurse, to train everybody how to do whole person care. 
Now, as I tell that story to a room full of professionals and students, there are probably questions that are beginning to come to your mind. Well, that sounds great, but will it work in my practice, my busy practice? I work in the United States. I don't work on the mission field. Can I do that here? Is it appropriate? Is it ethical? How do you even begin to broach spiritual issues? What does the literature say? Is it legal? Will I get fired? You know, all those types of questions begin or should begin to flood into your mind as you hear that story. So that's what we're going to try to do in the next 25, 30 minutes. I've got a lot of information. Basically, what I'm sharing with you today is is sort of uh, shrunken from like a four and a half, four and a half day professional conference. So hang on. We are going to go fast, and then I'm going to give you a chance to interact with each other. I'm going to get, try to give you a chance to sort of practice with each other, and then we're going to have some Q&A afterwards. So that's what I'm hoping and praying we're going to do. Let me, as we start talking about this, professionally, in terms of integration and whole person care, from a physician standpoint, what do they think about what I've just talked about? Majority of physicians, 75% agree that religion and spirituality is important to patients for coping and for giving them a positive state of mind. JAMA 2004 said that in a recent multi-center survey of 476 physicians' attitudes towards spirituality and clinical practice, 85% said that physicians should be aware of patients' religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs. That's physicians, all right? Uh, Let's see. Despite the increased attention being focused on spirituality and health, research reveals that physicians are often reluctant to explore spiritual issues with their patients. Well, what do your patients think? And what do your patients feel about religiosity and spirituality and your patients' belief? Well, this was a popular survey that was done many years ago, 1996. Spiritual faith can help recovery. Faith helps recovery for meals, 56%. The doctors should talk to their patients about spiritual beliefs, 63%. That's what majority of patients said. Now, prayer and patience, 75% of Americans claim to play to pray regularly and or believe in the healing power of prayer. That was from a Pew Forum research a few years ago. Uh, surgical patients, 83% agreed or strongly agreed that surgeons should be aware of their spiritual patients' religiosity and spirituality. Get this, 63%, this was 2011, last year, 63%, sound familiar? 63% concurred that a surgeon should take a spiritual history. So the trend, the attitude has remained somewhat consistent over the last 15 years. Teens want it. Can you imagine this? Teenagers. Most teens wanted their provider to ask them about their spiritual beliefs during some visits, especially when dealing with death, dying, or chronic illness. That was this year. Patient satisfaction, something that everybody's concerned about, especially if you're practicing in the U.S., and they can go out and they can start writing on these websites about you and their visit and your clinic, and your administrators care about this as well. 1.7 million patients, 33% of all hospitals represented patient satisfaction with emotional and spiritual aspects of care. What do you think about that? Well, they said that was one of the lowest among all clinical care indicators in terms of patient satisfaction. And they said patients said that one of the high, it was one of the highest areas needing quality improvement. 
patient satisfaction. Patients who had discussions of religion and spiritual concern were more likely to rate their clinical care at the highest level of four different measures of patient satisfaction, regardless of whether or not they said they had desired such a conversation. Friend of mine practices in Southern California, takes care of uh, HIV patients, and uh, was working up a patient one day, a brand-new HIV patient, and uh, uh, this guy had been in the textbook publishing industry. And uh, as part of his practice, he began to ask his patients some spiritual history questions. You know, where is, what, what keeps you going? What's your source of strength? Where has God been in the midst of all of this? Uh, and then at the end of his visit, he said, would it be helpful if I pray for you before you leave? The patient said, no, I don't believe any of that, doc. Left. Okay, next visit, sort of same routine, worked him up, took care of the HIV, interspersed some spiritual history questions in, asked him at the end of the visit, would it be helpful if I pray for you before I leave? No, nah, that's all right, I'm, I'm fine. Third visit, same thing, same question, same response. Guy's not interested, right? Two and a half years later, three years later, same patient, same physician, Dr. Elder works him up, takes care of all of the chronic HIV issues, maintaining his case, that type of thing. And as he was about to leave the room, the patient said, Dr. Elder, could I ask you a question? Sure. He said, when I first came here, you would ask me all types of questions about faith and God and all that type of stuff. And then you would always ask if, I, if, if you could pray for me or, or if it would be helpful if you pray for me. And Dr. Elder said, yeah, that's right. And then the patient said, and then you stopped doing that. Did somebody tell you to not do that anymore? Did you get in trouble for doing that? And my friend Harvey said, no, I just didn't sense that you were interested and I didn't want to harass you. The patient then said, I always thought that was nice of you to do. Dr. Elder says, would it be helpful if I pray for you <laughs> before you leave? And the patient said, I think it would. Praise with him. And that began a whole nother level of care for this guy and a series of conversations over this longitudinal patient-physician relationship. Faith factor. How does religious beliefs, not necessarily Christianity, but religious beliefs and practices in general, how does that affect patient life? Well, People of faith have lower suicide rates, less anxiety, less substance abuse, less depression, faster recovery from depression. They have a greater well-being, hope and optimism, more purpose and meaning in life, higher social support general, greater marital satisfaction and stability. Uh, illness prevention. Frequent attendees of uh, religious services are more likely to stop smoking, start exercising, increase social contacts, stay married. Uh, coping with illness, bypass surgery patients, 97% report that prayer is helpful in coping, 96% report that uh, they use prayer to deal with stress, 70% found that prayer extremely helpful in their coping. Hip surgery patients, uh, stronger religious beliefs were associated with less post-op depression, and get this, greater walking distance and discharge. People of faith, gynecological cancer, 97% said that religion helped sustain hope. 49% said became more religious as a result of their illness. Get this, none became less religious. We often worry about, oh, no, they're a brand-new Christian. What's going to happen? they get cancer now. They're going to abandon the faith. No. Research, at least in this study, showed that doesn't tend to happen. Now, we can come alongside. We can encourage. We can support people of faith. 
and it's appropriate our patients actually appreciate it in the, in the clinical setting. Heart surgery, uh, reduced mortality, fewer health worries, better medical compliance, people of faith. Ever get frustrated? You take your medicine? Yeah, I took a couple of them. You know, did you finish? No, I, I, I was feeling better. Well, I t- no, that's feeling. You know. Why take a spiritual history? Well, in general, studies suggest that infrequent religious atten- attendance should be regarded as a consistent risk factor for morbidity and mortality of various types. Wow. Why take a spiritual history? How about better outcomes? Religiousness is related to significantly less depressive symptoms, better quality of life, less cognitive impairment, less perceived pain. In fact, in 2011, they said clinicians should consider taking a spiritual history and ensuring that spiritual needs are addressed among older patients in rehab settings. From our friends down under, why take a spiritual history by keeping patients' beliefs, spiritual religious needs, and support separate from their care, we are potentially ignoring an important element that may be at the core of patients' coping and support systems and may be integral in their well-being and their recovery. That's not Bible Belt United States. That's down under. Given the advances in this area over the past decade, physicians can no longer ignore the spiritual aspects of care, nor are they able to ignore spiritual aspects of delivering care. Southern Medical Journal. That... Conservative magazine, Newsweek, once said, to exclude God from a medical consultation is a form of malpractice. Spirituality is a wonder joy and shouldn't be left in the clinical closet. Discovering the power of prayer, a friend of mine, sitting in a dentist chair, neurosurgeon, all right? He's sitting there, has a cavity, The dentist is sneaking up on him with that hit of Novocaine or whatever it is they use in the back. And and my friend says that when it comes to injections, he's always thought that it's better to give than to receive. Uh, But uh, he was on the receiving end. And the dentist, who was a Christ follower himself, must have sensed that this guy was a little nervous and said, would it be helpful if I pray for you before we do this? And, And he said, sure, sure. And so he prays for him. And it helps. I don't know. The procedure goes on. He lives through it. And he's driving home. And this neurosurgeon is thinking, and he's thinking back on this. And it's like God comes to him and says, why don't you do that with your patients? I'm a neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeons don't pray with patients. Come on. I mean, what would they think? They they might think, I I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm scared, or, you know, or or they're going to die. No. God continues to persist. And so finally he says, okay, all right, I'm going to pray with the patient. So he shows up at work, and, of course, what happens? He gets scared. He doesn't do it. Next day, same resolve. Shows up at work, doesn't happen, gets busy, forgets, whatever. So one day he goes in, and he is dead set. Into, I am not leaving the hospital till I do this with one of my patients. So he picks out his victim. <laughs> it's a lady going in for a procedure. Her mom is there. They're in the pre-op ward with all the privacy afforded in a pre-op ward with the curtains separating the patients. Okay, got the picture. So he walks in for the pre-op visit, and he's got his plan all done. And he, and, but, but when he gets there... The nurse is there, 
And he's not about to pray in front of a nurse, okay? And so he's, he's thinking about this, and he's looking, and, and he's waiting for the nurse to leave, right? Well, the nurse doesn't leave. And he delays, and the nurse doesn't leave. And he delays, and the nurse doesn't leave. And finally, it's sort of like the nurse, the patient, and the mom are looking. Why are you still here? Well, he decides to bail out, and he goes back to the nurse's station, and he's standing there, and he's still waiting for the nurse to leave. And he's looking around the corner, and he's checking his phone, and he's writing on notes, and he's talking on his phone, even though nobody's on the other side, you know, looking and waiting for the patient to, I mean, for the nurse to leave. Finally, the nurse leaves, and so he makes a beeline down to the thing, and just before he gets to the bay, he sees the anesthesiologist coming, and a bout face goes back to the nurse's station. Finally, the anesthesiologist leaves, walks in. Would it be helpful for her? Yeah, I pray. Yeah. And so he prays real quick before anybody comes in. Real short pastoral prayer, and when he finishes a prayer, he looks up, and both the patient and the mom have tears streaming down their face. He does the procedure afterwards when he's talking to the mom. The mom is like, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did in praying with my daughter. He continues to do this incognito. (laughs) One day, one of the nurses comes up to him and says, can I talk to you? Takes him off in the room. Says, "Uh, I've been watching what you're doing with these patients. Yeah, (laughs) he gets nervous. He gets scared. And the nurse goes on and says, you know, I and many of the other nurses around here think that's really cool what you do. In fact, would you be willing to let us know when you're going to do this so that we can join in with it? (laughs) And then he decides he's going to start praying with his staff or with his team before he does a case. Many of you may recognize that story. It's the story of uh, David Levy, neurosurgeon in San Diego, actually wrote a book about his journey called Gray Matter, A Neurosurgeon Discovers the Power of Prayer One Patient at a Time. If you haven't gotten that book, you need to get it. It's on Amazon. It's cheap. It's a quick read. It's an easy read, but it's an incredibly encouraging and fun read to do. Taking a spiritual history. Well, one guy suggested rather than ignoring faith completely with all patients, most of whom who want to discuss it, physicians, and I use the word physicians a lot, I let clinicians, physicians, nurses, PT, OT, PA, pharmacy, allied health, anybody that has patient contact, anybody that has patient contact can do what we're talking about. Physicians, clinicians might ask a question to discern who would like to pursue it and who would rather not. Why take a spiritual history? Well, you know what? The Joint Commission actually mandates that spiritual care be done. Now, most of you, for those of you who don't know what the Joint Commission is, the Joint Commission is a U.S. entity that has taken it upon themselves to accredit every hospital in the United States. Might be saying, well, big whoop, who cares about accreditation? Well, you know what? If your hospital is not accredited, then Medicare is probably not going to reimburse your hospital. And if Medicare doesn't reimburse your hospital, then private insurance is probably not going to be reimbursed. And a hospital without accreditation can actually completely close down within a matter of weeks if they, don't have, if they have or if don't have or have lost their accreditation. Joint commission, they show up, 
those of you who work in hospitals, it's not a pretty picture. Everybody goes into a hissy-tissy fit, you know, when Joint Commission shows up. And now it's unannounced. It used to be scheduled and you knew. Now they just walk in and everybody goes like in a panic attack. Uh, that's when you need to do whole person care with the staff, all right? <laughs> but the Joint Commission says the spirituality of patients should be respected, assessed, and attended to in ways that are important to them. In fact, the Joint Commission suggests some questions. They don't say who's to ask the questions. They don't say what the training is. They don't say when. They just say, you guys need to work it out, but you need to be doing it. Here's some of the questions they suggest. Who or what provides the patient with strength and hope? Does the patient use prayer? How does the patient express spirituality? How would the patient describe their philosophy of life? How does does faith help the patient cope with illness? As we've talked about this, a lot of times people will say, well, you've talked a lot. Do you ever get any negative responses? A friend of mine has been doing whole person care in private settings, in religious hospital settings, in mostly in government hospital settings, in a county clinic and a VA clinic. He's on our faculty team. He was doing a lecture on taking a spiritual history one time. Somebody asked him, they said, have you ever had any negative responses to whole person care, spiritual care? And he stopped and he thought, in all the times in the hundreds and thousands of patients that I've done whole person care with or taken a spiritual history or offered to pray with them or shared the gospel with them in the clinical setting, of all those situations, I have had three negative responses, and one of the patients came back and apologized to me for being so negative. I've had more adverse responses to penicillin than I've had for whole person care. Well, how do you take a spiritual history? You approach your patients with permission, with respect, and with sensitivity. Now, what I am advocating here and what I am suggesting you begin to work into your practices, whether you're in the United States or overseas or in a bush hospital or whatever, what I am suggesting you do is not any different than anything else you do medically. My friend Richard, general surgeon, New England, met him in the spring, got together. We got to talk a few minutes before the session. He does colonoscopies. I just turned, well, a year ago, turned 50. So that magic number is up, all right? So I go and see Richard, and I show up, and Dr. Richard, we need a colonoscopy. And he starts looking at my foot. And I'm talking about the colonoscopy, and how do I do this, and is it going to hurt, and I'm scared, and all this stuff. And he keeps looking at my foot. And he says, you know, I hadn't done a foot amputation in a long time. And I need some practice, and I think yours needs to come off. All right? Now, what do you think I'm going to do? You know, I'm probably get out of there as fast as I can. Now, he's a great competent surgeon. He wouldn't do that. But if you're in a clinical setting and something you do and you advocate and you push something medically that's not warranted, not called for, not appropriate. What do we call that? Malpractice. That's what we call it. Whole person care is the exact same way. Medically, you ask questions to find out what's going on and what the need is. And if there's a need, then you do the test, 
you do the diagnostics, you do the prognosis, you sit down with the patient and you say, this is what we found, this is what I would suggest, this is what I think we need to do, this is how it's going to help you, here's the data, that type of thing. What do you want to do? You come in and do what an allergist did to me one time, worked me up, did all the tests. Next thing I know, that guy's got a syringe in my arm. I'll see you next week. Didn't talk to me, didn't ask me anything, didn't talk about, you know what? Never went back to that guy, ever. Of course, that my is more seasonal, and I didn't want to do shots for a year for a seasonal thing. But, but even if I would have, I would have never gone back to that guy because, you know, that's, no. You know, same thing with whole person care. If there's not a need, if there's not an interest, if they don't give me permission, I'm not going to go there. It's not my agenda. I am wanting to respond to a patient need. I think we've tried to show there's more evidence. Is this warranted? Yeah. Is it helpful? Yes. Is it ethical? With permission, with consent, with respect, recognizing patient autonomy, applying justice, non Maleficent, all of the, the Georgetown mantra, yes. You see where I'm going? I'm not coming in with the Bible Say, oh, you need this. I've seen somebody do that. It's not pretty. No, I'm not leaving. They need to talk. We need to talk about this. No, I'm not leaving. We need to talk about this. No, nurse, I'm not leaving. We need called security, haul the guy out. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. If there's a need, we offer to address that need. At the degree and at the level, you feel competent in training. If you don't feel competent, call in a chaplain. Not any chaplain. Make sure you know that chaplain. Make sure you're on the same page philosophically, theologically with that chaplain. Just don't pick up the phone and call the chaplain's department because you don't know what you're going to get. All right? Work out a network. Develop a network. Some spiritual history questions. With this illness, what keeps you going? What's your source of strength? Has any of this been scary or stressful for you? How so? Has this illness affected the way you see yourself, or how has it? How has this illness affected your relationship with God? What in your life is most meaningful to you? <laughs> we'll come back to this in a minute, and the other thing is these slides are actually up online, and so you can go to the mission site and you can download it. Just go in, and but, but we'll come back to this slide in a minute. You're going to get to practice using these. Rob Adamson is a, a CV surgeon, San Diego, California, uh, does heart transplants, was working with a patient, visiting with a patient one day, asked some spiritual history questions, finds out that this young girl, I think she was an adult, had, uh, was in the hospital as a result of a suicide attempt, like her third suicide attempt. Begins to ask, continue to ask spiritual history questions, and it's Valentine's Day. Finds out that this young, that this girl uh, wants to connect with God, wants to know more about getting closer to God. He said, would it be helpful if I take a few minutes to explain to you how you can connect with God from a biblical Christian perspective? Yeah, I think it would. Goes through the gospel with this lady in a hospital, in the clinical setting. All right, got the picture. And... At the end of that thing, this girl realizes, maybe for the first time in her life, that not, God not only loves her, but she's got a sin problem. She needs a Savior. And from the biblical Christian perspective, that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. Died on the cross to pay the penalty for her sin. 
And so she transfers her trust from the things that she had been trusting in to Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sin, for her sins. Becomes a Christ follower. Rob's able to talk to her, encourage her, maybe give her some things that would be helpful. Later that night, he's talking with us and he's sharing with us about what's happened with this patient. And then he makes a statement. He says, you know, I do heart transplants for a living. And he said, every transplant that I, every patient that I've ever transplanted, every patient I've ever done a procedure on, you know what? That patient's going to die. Every one of them. He said, today, on Valentine's Day, I got to participate in a heart transplant that's going to last forever. And my patient is never going to die as a result. Of course, he's speaking spiritually, but he is absolutely dead on. Valentine's Day, gets to participate in his first heart transplant in 25 years of practice where the patient, quote, will never die. He says, I don't have to worry about the heart being rejected. I don't have to worry about this because this was solid. God's word is true. All right? How do you get from just general spiritual history questions? What do you do if you have a patient whom by their answers you recognize there's a need there, by their answers you have by God's grace and God's sovereignty intersected the life of a patient at a point that they are at that point in their spiritual journey where they want to connect with God. Not every patient is like this. Not every patient wants to know God. Not every patient wants to have prayer. It might be like that, met, that, that publisher that we talked about earlier might be like one of those two patients in thousands, you know, that my friend had talked to. But what do you do when you get to that point, and how do you go further in the clinical setting? And how do you find out if they're interested in going there? Well, here's a question that I found and we have found and we've trained thousands of patients, of, of clinicians to use. Many patients say they would like to get, or would, they want to get closer to God. Would you say that's true of you? And just ask the patient, especially if they've indicated, you know, I've been trying to connect with God. I don't know where God is. I don't think my prayers are getting past the ceiling. Or, you know, I used to be into God, but that was a long time ago. And this illness has sort of brought me to the point that maybe I, you know, maybe I need to start going to church again. I hear that. Ask them this patient. Ask them this question. And if they say yes, yeah, I would. Here's another transition question that might be helpful to you. For those patients who say they want to get closer to God, I'm willing to explain how one might do that. Would it be helpful to you? Would it be helpful to you if I took a few minutes to talk more about this? Let me ask you something. What's the difference between the phrase, would it be helpful to you? And, hey, can I tell you a little bit more about how you might can connect with God? What's the difference between can I tell you or can I pray for you versus would it be helpful if I pray for you? I'm sorry? They're taking ownership. What was in that? Okay. All right. Anything else? Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Whose agenda is can I pray for you? Can I tell you more about connecting with God? Whose agenda is that? That's my agenda. I want to do this. You know. 
Would it be helpful? Whose agenda is that? Patience agenda. Patience agenda. You know? Not only is that a good question in terms of stance and agenda, but I think it's a good question in terms of protecting yourself, and you do need to be aware, you know. You know, there have been some times when, you know, uh, maybe misunderstanding, patient felt coerced or something, but, you know, if I can say that I only asked them three times on the front end, would it be helpful I got permission. I got consent. And even if I'm sharing the gospel with them, even throughout that conversation, I'm repeatedly, you doing okay? You want to keep going? You getting tired? And at the front end telling them, okay, before I share this with you, if you get tired at any time and you want to stop for any reason, you let me know. You see how that might be several layers of defense? But then not only defense, but it continues to put the patient in charge, recognizing patient autonomy. Caring about patients is what gives joy and fulfillment to the practice of medicine, and it's why many of us, many of you chose this profession. Its absence, especially in this pressured healthcare environment, can rapidly lead to dissatisfaction, emotional exhaustion, and burnout. Practicing whole person medicine is the best kind of care, both for those who receive it and those who give it. Can't tell you the number of times that I've met people in healthcare, especially in the United States, and they're burned out and they're tired. And there's a lot of things that go into that, but I'm convinced that one time, and I was having breakfast with a friend about two or three weeks ago, family practice doc in Southern California, Kaiser doc. And he says, you know, if I didn't do this type of thing, all the mundane tests and the exams and the paperwork, you know, this is sort of what keeps me going. And I think the same thing can happen on the medical field. You can get on the medical field and you are so overwhelmed with the incredible needs that you face and your inadequacy, not so much professionally, personally, but in terms of resources, that it is just hard to keep going. It's just a grind. But I'm convinced that you start integrating what we've talked about, it will, re- it will bring back that spark. It will bring that back that meaning. It will bring back that purpose many times because that's why you went into medicine or healthcare in the first place. A lot of times I visit with, uh, I spend a lot of time with med students, and it's amazing the number of med students that show up and I connect with them freshman year, and there's this mindset, I want to be a Christian physician. And they think that is just going to automatically happen. And they're going to get out on the other side of med school and they're going to be a Christian physician, whatever that is. I'm not sure what that is. And a lot of times, well, what is that? And they can't tell me, but that's what they want to do. And there's no intentionality in terms of getting there, in terms of training, in terms of opportunities, in terms of experience. And those of you who are students who are here are to be commended for taking a day out of class or a day and a half to be here to have your soul fed, your vision expanded, and some tools given to you. And hopefully this will be one of the many things that you pick up that will keep you on the way. And in terms of the needs, there are a lot of times that Jesus, you know, couldn't meet all the needs, didn't or he could have, didn't meet all the needs, and, and his disciples, hey, what about these guys? No, next town. No, no, Jesus, no. next town. Let's go. You know, 
continuing to meet the whole person needs. Why take a spiritual history? Get this, 2006. Taking a spiritual history, will it add time? Will it add time to the visit in the short run? You bet. But will it likely, but will likely save time in the long run, given the benefits and patient satisfaction, doctor-patient relationship, and compliance with treatment? Why are you in there so long? Well, just a little broader scope of medicine. Well, gosh, we're five minutes behind. Okay, well, adjust your schedule. There's some ways that you can do that. But also, you know what? That five minutes there might save you hours later. Context. Be very easy. You guys are capable, trained, highly motivated, skilled, experienced. Be easy for you to sit here in this, in this session and go, got it, got the questions, and off you go, and you're applying and you're using, and God bless you. But you know, I was spending time in Acts in my quiet time recently. Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, this is before they're sent out. And you know what they were doing before they were sent out? text says that they were worshiping God in fasting. And it was in that context that the Holy Spirit said, came and said, send these guys out. And before they, 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 they commissioned them, but before there was more prayer and fasting. And it's in the context of a vital dynamic relationship with the creator God that keeps us going and sustains us and keeps our picture, where it, our, our focus where it needs to be, which is not so much in doing things, but it's in a relationship with him, a dynamic relationship. Later, these guys go out, not in this passage, but they continue to turn the world upside down. They have great success, but there's incredible opposition. Incredible opposition. And at one point, after some incredible opposition, you know what the text says about them? They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't based on their circumstances. It wasn't based on their results. I'm convinced it was based on that personal relationship with God. And in the next chapter, it talks about their back out there, prayer, fasting, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with their joy. And the text says that they were incredibly effective, is a word that's used in the English. Folks, successful whole person care means going in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Going in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to get a partner. Right? person right beside you might work. If you don't want to do that, then there's some people scattered around in the back. Just get up and leave. Go to the, you know, find another partner. But anyway, everybody get a partner. And I want you to practice. I want you to role play. One of you be the patient. One of you be the clinician. Here are the questions. You can use them. Just look up here. You don't, you know, and uh, and practice doing this. All right. Just get your feet wet. All right. Do one, see one, teach one. All right. Okay. So everybody get a partner. I want to see everybody's eyes even focused on their partner, or somebody. Everybody's somebody's half of your mouth's moving, half of you focused on the other. Okay. 